Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale. But do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable, bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. For this week's episode, I chose Northern Lights from one of radio's most original horror programs, Quiet Please. Quiet Please was created by radio and screenwriter Willis Cooper. Cooper gained notoriety in the mid-30s as the creator of the grisly radio show Lights Out, but eventually left the show in the very capable hands of Arch Obler to try his luck in Hollywood. After writing the screenplay for Son of Frankenstein and several installments of the Mr. Moto series, Cooper returned to radio in 1940 as a writer for the Campbell's Playhouse successor to Orson Welles' The Mercury Theater in the Air. While working on the Campbell's Playhouse, Willis Cooper met radio announcer Ernest Chappell. Cooper was captivated by Chappell's everyman voice and natural demeanor and began to imagine a radio show that would utilize that voice to its fullest. In contrast to Cooper's previous horror effort, The Violent and Visceral Lights Out, his new show would be slower and a quieter affair, using Chappell's gift as a storyteller to create stories that felt both intimate and surreal. Quiet Please debuted June 8, 1947, and ran for 105 episodes, ending in 1949. Every Quiet Please story was told in the first person by Ernest Chappell, as if he were speaking directly to the listener at home. Supporting actors were used sparingly and sometimes not at all. A typical half-hour radio script was usually 25 to 30 pages long, but... Cooper embraced science to such a degree that his 30-minute scripts were sometimes as short as 18 pages. Not all the stories Willis Cooper wrote for Quiet Please were intended to frighten. Some were dark comedies or weird fantasies or genres onto themselves. But tonight's episode is classic sci-fi horror. So now let's listen to Northern Lights from Quiet Please, originally broadcast January 30th, 1949. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. American Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for today is called Northern Lights. This is a story about the temporal displacement of mass. It is also a story about teleportation. Do you know what those terms mean? 
No, I didn't think you did, but you stay right where you are, my charming friend, and you're quite likely to find out. You just stay right there and listen. I'll tell you everything you want to know. And maybe... Well, maybe a couple of things you're not terribly anxious to know. Ever see the Northern Lights? Aurora Borealis is their right name. You don't see them very often below the 50th parallel of latitude in this country, but up in northern Minnesota and Canada, upper New York, places like that, they're quite common of a winter night. If you've seen them, you know what they look like. If you haven't, there's no use by trying to describe them. Sometimes they fill a whole northern sky with waves of color, like a fire burning way beyond the horizon. Sometimes they're just long streamers of fire filling up the whole sky. And another time they look like gigantic, fringed curtains of pure light, swaying as if some cold cosmic breeze plucked at them, way far off there to the north. And you can hear them too sometimes. Well, maybe not exactly hear them, but but there's a sound, a humming, a, a crackling somewhere inside your head. And there are times when you'd swear it's a voice talking to you. Talking in some kind of strange language you can almost understand. Filling your whole being with a kind of desperate, inescapable terror. You know what I mean? At night, in the cold night, voices talking and saying things to you that you can almost understand. Filling the night sky with signs and portents of inescapable terror. And nobody, nobody in the whole world knows what they are, nobody in this world at least, except me. And after I get done talking to you, you'll know too. And you won't be happy. Let me show you something now. This is from a recording I made on... Uh, Let's see, December 13th, 1948, a little more than a month and a half ago. I started the recorder while Norman and I were just about finished with our work that afternoon here in the laboratory. I just set the microphone on top of the file cabinet there and turned on the machine. Listen, I'm going to play it back for you. The quality isn't so very good, but you can recognize my voice and, and Norman's, I think. Here. Uh, I got the call. We won now, I guess. Did you test it? How can I test it when I said I just got to rewind? Hurry up. It's almost 6 o'clock. Yeah. Well, it's dark, but I didn't realize the time. Hurry up. I'm hurrying. Um, be a display tonight, you suppose? How do I know? Been a display the last three nights. Well, that was a dinger last night, wasn't it? Yeah, the machine wasn't ready. Hey, listen, now, do you think you can do better than I can? Ouch! What's the matter? Oh, I stuck my finger. Where'd you... Where'd you put the copper sulfate? Um, all right, up above the sink. Huh? Uh, I got it. What are you doing? Testing the coil. How's it? Oh, it looks okay. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, it's okay. I'll be right with you. Uh, hook it up. What are you going to send? You try my cigarette lighter. That won't work anyway. I'll, I won't miss it if we don't get it back. I don't know how the thing will work when the northern lights aren't shining. Well, maybe they are shining. Turn off the room lights. Let's see. All right. Pretty early, I hear. Uh, What's the matter? Hey, look. Ooh. Out early tonight. 
boy, that's fine. The whole sky. Look, blue and yellow. Yeah, I, I never saw those long fringes. Before. They were the same. Okay, did you turn on the recorder? Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's turning over. Let's see. <clears throat> now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their party. I leave it alone. Uh, you about ready now? Well, it's funny about the Aurora. Northern Lights? Listen to this well, part closely, friend. Oh, I don't know. Remember what I told you. You can almost hear the darn things. Uh, not hear them, I mean, but it's uh, it's kind of like somebody talking to you in a language you can you can almost understand. I don't know. I mean, you ever notice it? Sure. High frequencies, I guess. Something. Awful lot we don't understand. Look, uh, you go over there at the recorder and talk into the mic. Talk what? Well, just describe what happens for the record. I'm no announcer. Uh, I know you're not, but... Just say what you see so we'll have an accurate record. Okay. Now? Go ahead. <clears throat> this is an experiment in the temporal displacement of a solid object. Uh, in other words, the first actual demonstration of a time machine. If it works. It'll work all right. Go on. Paul is now placing his old beat-up cigarette lighter on the stage of the hypercucambulator. And he is now setting the microchronometer to determine how far into the future he's going to send the lighter. Well, how far, Paul? Uh, ten seconds. Ten seconds. Uh, at, at the end of that time, if our calculations are correct, and we hope they are, the cigarette lighter will reappear. In that period of time, it will have been into the future. Uh, we could send it farther into the future if we wanted to, I guess, but we'd just have to wait that much longer for time to catch up with it and make it reappear. But ten seconds, well, I mean, uh, we can prove our point by sending it ten seconds into the future just as well as ten years ahead, and this way we don't have to wait so long. Hey, how am I doing, Paul? I go into your commercial. When Paul presses the little button, the cigarette lighter will turn to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not right. It'll be here, but it'll be ten now, seconds. listen away. closely, please. Yeah. Well, now, What's uh, going to happen? Mr. Paul McGilligan, a famous mad scientist, is about to press the big old button and send his lighter into the future. You ready, Paul? Here we go. Stand by. Look, gone. By golly, it is gone. It just disappeared. Bang, like that. Hold your watch up close to the mic, Paul. It's over to record. Yeah. Um, the, 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 there isn't a sign of the lighter. Uh, the little stage on which Paul placed it is empty, and it should uh, appear again in, in just a second if it really did work. Three, two... One. It's back! It's back, Norm! It works! We made it! Oh, man, let's, let's see if it's all right. Oh, Jack! Oh, now what? Oh, the lighter. Oh, it's cold, Paul. Ooh, here, here, here. Take it, take it, Paul. Take it. It's freezing cold. What do you know? The darn thing's like a piece of ice. Now, where the dickens do you suppose it's been in that ten seconds? No, wait, friend. No, it, That's it not right. the payoff yet. You said, only in the future. Listen. And time's caught up with it. it it's back, but... Hey, Paul, look. Where did that come from? What? There on the stage where the lighter was. Where'd that come from? In the middle of winter. What is it? It's a caterpillar, Paul. A brown and black caterpillar. Well, where do you suppose it came from? It wasn't there. I'll, I'll tell you where it came from, Paul. What? It came from the same place where the cigarette lighter went. What? what are you talking about? Well, feel it, Paul. Feel its fur. 
nothing. It's as cold as ice, too. A caterpillar. A little brown and black caterpillar, the kind they call woolly bears. You know, larva of the tiger moth, the Icea Isabella. In the dead of winter and as cold as ice. Where did it come from? Huh? You want to know. Incidentally, you know, the old timers say that the woolly bear caterpillar is a weather prophet. If the brown bands on his fur are narrow, there's a severe winter ahead. If they're wide, it's going to be a mild winter. Yeah, maybe. This one, you could hardly see the brown bands. Tough weather ahead, that's what the old timers would say. But where'd she come from? She wasn't there when we put the cigarette lighter on the stage. When time caught up again, there she was. She? Sure, Isabella. I see her, Isabella. Uh, I told you, remember? Well, she was wriggling happily when she arrived from somewhere in the future. But as she warmed up, she seemed to go into a trance, almost a, a death-like trance. So Norman said, put her in the deep freeze. Maybe she'll come to again in the cold. So we put her in the deep freeze. And in half an hour when we looked in at her, she was wiggling happily. At ten degrees below zero, Fred. Now, can you tie that? My goodness, she should have been frozen solid. Well, nothing special happened for a couple of days. That, you remember, was a month and a half ago, December 13th, 1948. Where were you on the night of December 18th? Uh, Saturday night, a week before Christmas. I'd been Christmas shopping in the afternoon, I remember. I came back to the laboratory to check up on some stuff. And Norman was there, fiddling with things. Hi, Norm, I said. How's Isabella? You know something funny, Paul? What's the matter with you? Who, me? You look so pale. You sick? Eat something disagreed with you? Paul, Isabella's singing. Singing what? Isabella's singing. <laughs> You're dotty. She's singing. The caterpillar's singing. Not tap dancing, I hope. I'm not kidding you. Oh, I cut it out. Open the deep freeze and listen. You've been at the C2H50H? I haven't had a drink since Thursday night. Well, now, what? Open you... the deep freeze and listen. No kidding? No kidding. Well, we, we don't know where she came from. I won't be surprised at anything. Hello, Isabella. Hey, don't do that. What's the matter? Afraid she'll have to be back? Well, I don't know what. <laughs> Hello, Isabella. <laughs> I hear you singing. I told you, Paul. I don't hear anything. Now, listen, Paul. I haven't lost my buttons. I've been hearing it all afternoon. I couldn't figure out what was doing it, and then I noticed it was louder alongside the deep freeze here. So I opened it up and stuck my head inside, and it was coming from her. Yeah. yeah. What does it sound like, Norm? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, uh... A-E-I... A-E-I? Oh. Didn't she say A-E-I-O-U and sometimes W and Y? Now, don't rib me. I tell you, I heard it. <laughs> I think you better take a Christmas vacation, Norm. I'm not no, nuts. No, kid, I know, but listen. We've been playing around with some pretty deep cosmic secrets, you and me. We've managed temporal displacement, which nobody in the world has ever done, see... Uh, maybe we both need a rest. You know what I think, Paul? What? I think we've managed teleportation, too. And we don't know it. Teleportation? You mean like Charles Ford talks about? I mean transporting tangible objects from one place to another without any mechanical means. Electronically? I don't know, Paul. 
All I know is that that cigarette lighter was someplace where it was awful cold. And it wasn't cold here in this room. Well. Uh, and where did that caterpillar come from? I don't know. It came from wherever that cigarette lighter went, Paul. But where? I don't know. Somewhere. And you know what? I'm going to find out where it came from. You are? And how, may I ask you? I'm going to modify this gadget of ours, this hypercucambulator, so it'll carry a man. And then, my dear boss, I'm going to sit down in it and have you send me out there somewhere in time and space and come back and tell you all about it. That's all for tonight, bud. What? Come on, I'll take you out and buy you a drink. I'm not fooling, Paul. Okay, okay, you're not fooling, Norm. Get your hat and coat and come on. <laughs> I prescribe hot buttered rum. Well... Turn off the lights. Will you listen to me for Turn a Turn off the lights. I want hot buttered rum. Okay, okay. <sighs> Gosh, look out of that window. The northern lights. Well, they're really bright tonight. They sure are. Look how they pulse. Up, down. Up, down. Norm. Up, what? Look at the deep freeze there in the dark. What about? You see it? Light, Paul. Light. It's a... It's... I see it, Norm. It's right in step with the northern lights. And the same colors. Red, red. Blue, Blue. Up. Down. Up. Coming down. from the deep freeze where our little friend down. Isabella was singing to you. Now, what hey, do you... Paul, listen. I don't... Listen. Endlessly repeating A-E-I-O-U, the vowel sounds of our speech. And watching the light that pulsed up from the deep freeze in perfect rhythm with the flickering of the northern lights we watched through the window. And we thought long, long thoughts that I, I don't remember any too clearly now. I do know we both of us thought of ways to perfect our little mechanism, our time machine. Our machine that brought back a little cold brown and black caterpillar from somewhere. And when it was morning, and the lights had faded from the northern skies, we found that our machine was very different. The stage where we found the caterpillar was larger now. I had only a vague recollection of what had happened in the night. I said to Norm, Norman, I said, what did we do last night? I don't know for sure, Paul. Did we... Rebuild that thing? Make it larger? I don't know. I... It seemed... Well, I, I mean, I think I dreamed I was working on it. I think I hit my finger with a hammer. I see. Hmm. Thumb's all bruised. Certainly looks it. Well, nobody could have gotten in here. The door's locked. The machine's certainly different. This coil, I think. Look. It's rewound it. Did I do that? My head hurts. Mine too. I don't get it. I don't either. I wish I could. Listen, Norm. What? Maybe we did change it. But I... Well, how could we have done all that by ourselves? I've got an idea. What? 
Why, maybe Isabella helped us. The caterpillar? Oh, Let's you're... see, shall we? Open the deep freeze. Well, I opened it. It was empty. There wasn't any brown and black caterpillar in the deep freeze. We took a flashlight and looked over every inch of it. We stood there and looked at each other. For a whole minute. Norman said, well. I just shook my head. We went over and sat down. All of a sudden I said, I found her, Norman. And there she was. There was little Isabella, the caterpillar, crumpled up stone dead on the floor of the laboratory. And you know, caterpillars have little tiny paws. And one of Isabella's paws was the end of a long piece of wire that ran up to the generator coil. Well, how did she get out? And I said the thing couldn't be opened from the inside. I said it was fastened down tight when I took the lid off just now. But she did get out. Maybe. Maybe she did help us, Norm, I said. And he just sat there and stared at me. And I got up and put on my overcoat. Where are you going? Where are you going, Paul? I said I'm going to find out something, Norman. Where I'm going, it's cold, I said. I know that, and I'm going to find out what's been going on and where that caterpillar came from. Norm goggled at me. I stepped on the stage of the machine that was to take me away somewhere in time and space. I said, Norm, turn it on. over and touched the switch. He didn't say a word. And I braced myself. I nodded at him. Go ahead, I said. And he pressed the switch. And nothing happened at all. Nothing. Why? I know, Paul, I know. It's daylight. And there aren't any northern lights. Well, it was just as well. I had a chance to think about it a little, and I realized that just an overcoat wouldn't do me any good where I might be going. And so when it was dark night again and the northern lights were flickering and dancing in the sky, I put on a high-altitude aviator suit that had its own source of heat supply. Norman shook his head as I got back on the stage, nodded for him to press the switch. been cold, friend. Dark. You wouldn't know how dark it can get. Then I was standing on an immense plain that stretched so far, so far into the distance, a plain of snow and eternal ice. A dead, cold, white world with the blackest sky above me. And the northern lights reached from horizon to horizon. Even through the high-altitude suit, I could feel a biting cold. And I was afraid, shivering, abjectly afraid. The streamers of the northern lights reached down toward me and wrapped about me. I heard the sound of voices screaming into my mind. I, I could understand them. I wished hardly I'd never played around with cosmic forces. I yelled inside the heavy helmet. I yelled, Norman, Norman, bring me back. And there was nobody to hear me. No, I don't know where I was. Another planet? Maybe the North Pole? Maybe the lights were all around me. Maybe that's where it was. But 
This is the most terrible, awful, cold, lonely place you could imagine in a hundred years. The lights, the flickering, living lights crawled over me and beat at me. I could almost understand what they were saying. And then, the crash. The sudden blackness. I was standing again in the laboratory. I'd left only a few short seconds ago, and Norman was tearing at the fastenings of my suit and beating at me with both hands. I wondered what in the world he was doing until I got the helmet off. He was brushing caterpillars off me. Thousands of cold, freezing cold, brown and black Isabella caterpillars. I was in bed for a week or more. I don't know how long. Wherever it was I'd been, I'd nearly frozen to death in those short seconds. And at last, I was able to come back to the laboratory. I sat there that night with Norman. And outside the windows, the northern lights were brighter than they'd ever been before. Purple, green, yellow, black lights even. And there was a new rhythm tonight. A kind of code. Almost words. Thoughts. Not quite formed, and yet curiously disturbing. Norman, though, didn't seem to be as disturbed as I was. He just sat quietly and looked at me. Where did those caterpillars come from, Paul? I don't know. Where I was, that's all I know. Did you... Did they attack you, or... I don't know. They came from the lights. The lights? The northern lights. Where are they, Norman? The caterpillars? Yes. Where are they? In the deep freeze. Where Isabella was. Poor Isabella. What's the matter with you, Paul? I'm listening. Listening to what? Don't you hear them? I don't hear anything. Don't you? I don't hear anything. Well, listen. Listen, I don't hear anything. Turn on the recording machine. I want to see if we could pick up their voices. There isn't anything. Turn it on. Turn it on. I want a recording. Quick. Quick, Norman. They're talking to us. Listen, friend. I want to play you another recording. This is what came out of our tape recorder that night when I was listening to the voices. And Norman couldn't hear anything. Just listen. I still don't hear anything, Paul. Be still, listen. I tell you, I... Listen. What's that? Look at the deep freeze. The top's coming open. Look at the light around it, Paul. Be quiet. Watch. How did they... Good Lord, look. The caterpillars are coming out, Paul. Look at them. There's millions of them. Be still, Norman. But, 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 Paul, you, your voice. Be still, I said. What's the matter with your voice? We want to talk to you. You what? You, you said we. Why, of course, Norman. We. Who for the... It is Paul's voice, Norman. Paul's voice. Voice. But it is not Paul speaking. Listen. We speak to you. Paul. Not Paul. We, the people of the lights, we from the cold, we are speaking to you with Paul's voice. I tell you that... Paul's voice will tell you what to do when the time comes, Norman. 
We go to the machine now. Paul's mind is ours for a little time now. We go to the machine. The machine that brought us to your world from the world of the lights. Who are you? Who? The people of the lights. To take over this world of yours. Only this world of yours is so hot. We must have the cold world. And we know how to make it cold. What's the matter, Paul? Paul! So, so hot. No, no. Quick, Norman. Turn on the machine. Send us to places in your world. No, our world. Hurry. So hot. Hurry. So hot. Paul. Hurry. Hurry. Turn on the machine. <laughs> That's the end of the recording. No, I don't know. I don't have any recollection of it at all. But the recording's there, isn't it? That must be what happened. Anyway, when I woke up, Norman was gone, and there were no caterpillars in the place here. And our machine, our machine that took people and things away into time and space, was wrecked. I don't know what became of it. You heard what they said about my voice. They're going to take over this world and make it a cold world, like the one they came from. Whatever that is. And wherever they went. No, I don't know where they went, where the machine sent them. I do have ideas. Yes. Are you cold? It's freezing in here. And just for example, uh, you read the papers? Look at the newsreels. Did you see the pictures of the snow in Los Angeles? In subtropical Los Angeles, where it hasn't snowed for so many, many years? I wondered about it, too. I wonder if anybody saw any brown and black woolly bear caterpillars in Los Angeles. Larva of the tiger moth I see, Isabella. Northern Lights. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And my laboratory assistant, Norman, was played by Dan Sutter. The voices of Isabella and her friends was that of Cecil Roy. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now for a word about next week. Our writer, director, my good friend, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet, Please. For next week, I have a story for you that comes from the steel mills out South Chicago way. It's called Cat the Heat, Bogdan. <laughs> and so, until next week at this same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Now, a listening reminder. How are your predictions of things to come? What's your batting average? Compare your average with the man who has made predicting his business. Listen to Drew Pearson tonight on ABC. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. 
You're listening to the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. And that was an episode of Quiet, Please, and the name of the episode, Northern Lights. That was Joshua's pick this week. I'll start off uh, our discussion of this real quickly by telling you, uh, yet again, uh, I am a newbie. I have never listened to an episode of Quiet, Please. This is my first foray, uh, mainly because here's the deal. There is so much old-time radio out there that, you know, when I get through all the suspense and lights out, I'll let you know. You know, it's like, (laughs) but Quiet, Please is brand new to me. And uh, I was pleasantly, more than pleasantly, I... I was really happy to be introduced <laughs> to Quiet, Please. So, Joshua, this is your pick. Why did you pick this one? Well, I well love Quiet, Please, so I definitely wanted to include Quiet, Please in the podcast. Uh, and I came across this episode, again, listening to it um, in the dark one night on a uh, irresponsible, dangerous bike ride home. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just gripped me. Uh, generally speaking, one of the things I love about Quiet, please. And what I love about this script in particular is the entire plot is sort of summarized in the daylight, sitting around on a Saturday morning like we are right (laughs) here, uh, drinking coffee, is absolutely absurd. It's a guy with a time machine powered by the Aurora Borealis, (laughs) and there are killer uh, caterpillars, and it's kind of could be a comedy, really. But the, the, the way the the way it's presented, listened to as it should be, uh, in the right frame of mind, it is really eerie and terrifying. Yeah, I never, uh, not to jump too far ahead, but I didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I never no, caught that as a comedy. It, it struck me after. I, I listening guess you're to right. It, now I, that you say yeah. that, like that's kind of ridiculous. But at no point did I say this is could be ridiculous. Yeah. It mainly struck me after listening to it and reading some summaries of it online, like what actually happens in the story. And I'm like, that that's like a maybe a Douglas Adams short story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally thought the same thing of when you are dealing with a story like this that is so genuinely, what is going on? Uh, that it's presenting, it puts you in a situation where you cannot predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, that is almost beat for beat the same thing you would do for comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the way they do it so well, and the performances are so good that there's no questioning whether it's supposed to be funny or not, because it is not funny. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, just uh, as someone who's listened to Quiet, Please for the first time, uh, that intro, which I'm sure you guys have heard before because you've listened to me before, I want to let you know, for someone, my point of view for hearing it for the first time, Wow, that's a really cool intro to a, a, a radio show. Are you talking about just when he goes, quiet, quiet please. please. And then the piano yep. is spooky. How did that piano get spooky? <laughs> and he would change up the pauses between quiet, please, because he always yeah. says it twice. And I think the longest he waited was seven or eight seconds between saying, quiet, please, uh, long a- pause. Quiet, please. It's a great concept. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Just the uh, the opening sets you f- up for. And plus, as you said in the introduction, Joshua, uh, that you wrote about uh, Chapel, mm-hmm. the announcer, and this style of uh, talking directly to the audience, you really get the sense this guy's like sitting, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sitting on your bed with you going, <laughs> hey, come here, let me tell you something. Here's a story. 
crazy story. He's fantastic, <laughs> oh, yeah. Chapel, yeah. and a really great storyteller. And I and the writer uh, Willis Cooper. Cooper, yeah, he's absolutely right that when he heard this guy that he needed to make a radio show just because of his abilities. Yeah, uh, he's fantastic. And so this episode itself, uh, uh, I loved everything about it. And we'll start with this concept. I love the idea of telling the story and being able to go to the tape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's found footage horror, like what we have today. Right? It's, it's audio found footage that he replays, and, and it's and it's just brilliant. dirty enough. I mean, uh, the sound quality of yeah. that that it sounds just like he's playing a bad recording of. It's just fantastic. And the writing there too, he captures the mundane back and forth of two guys yeah. at work, even though it's not mundane. They're working on a time machine. He cuts <laughs> himself. Uh, yeah, you know, he cuts himself. He's looking for you know the band aid or whatever it was. Oh yeah, and and when he does the the stupid jingle, yeah, oh, yeah. The jingle. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Hey, you're pretty funny. <laughs> Some good improv. <laughs> uh, I I loved also that he talks over mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that device of. Okay, everybody, this is the point. I was talking about this. Yeah. Listen closely to this. And it's in a much clearer voice. It, it's, it, I, and it reinforces this sort of uh, tension between uh, technology, because uh, the technology of this recording mm-hmm. that, uh, and the technology of this machine that throws you into wherever it put them. Wherever and, it put them. And that's the thing. There is, it's so dense with ideas. Like every couple minutes, there's something else that makes you go, What? So we've got this nice uh, setup of listening to these audio recordings, him talking over the audio recordings, cueing you in to listen really carefully. So everything that happens, you think it's important, and he even comes in and says, no, that's not, that's not the scary bit. Yeah. <laughs> keep, right. keep waiting. And then when that uh, cigarette lighter comes back and it's cold to the touch, mm-hmm. it's just that subtle, mysterious, it's odd thing. great. And the, that that's the first in a series of steps that leads to and then the earth froze. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You go from cold cigarette lighter to <laughs> death of everyone on the planet. By way of caterpillars. <laughs> Let's talk about the caterpillars. Um, I have some theories on this. Why a caterpillar? Why is that? It's, it's real folklore. And I think that's what he's pulling from, the woolly bears uh, predicting mm-hmm. weather. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's where his inspiration is came from because i looked it up afterwards i went is, right. that, is that a real bit of folklore or did he make that up for this podcast but no it's a no. real farmer's almanac yeah I, I i did know that what about the idea maybe i'm reading too much into this and it always drives me crazy when people analyze like literature and oh this is what the author meant by this and, and that's that. why you're doing a podcast analyzing right <laughs> but uh, yeah so you have to be careful like do writers really intend what we're putting on yeah. them but is there the metamorphosis aspect of a caterpillar that is why he selected that? Like the- It struck me, but they never really cash in on it. No. And if they were deliberately, we don't want to make that the thing we're focusing on with this as a metaphor. To right. I think it's there. I don't think that's an unfair observation that they're about to transform the earth. Right, they're going to put the that's earth what I'm getting yeah. Right, uh, that's what um, I'm getting. Yeah, at. that there is a there's a change coming. Yeah, and we're gonna and we're all gonna change. Yeah, I think the biggest thing he was playing on is the adorable nature of those woolly caterpillars. Oh, and right? that sweet little voice. Oh, well, but it's, oh. you it's find sweet that sweet, and it's chilling though. <laughs> that was yeah, that probably chilling. says more about me than <laughs> when I heard the singing. Finally, <laughs> right. 
Oh, it was just subtle enough and just distant enough and just weird enough. And again, I guess now that I think about it, after you said that, that could, not done right, that's just, okay, this is stupid. And oh, he's yeah. smart enough as a writer, Willis Cooper, to poke fun in the characters' voices. He kind of gets there before the listener does. He goes, yeah. oh, that, yeah, that's absurd. What? W- oh, they were singing? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, were they tap dancing, too? Or he makes a yeah. joke like that. So he, he gets, he undermines it quick himself, mm-hmm. answers that thought you might be having, um, and then moves on and makes it scary. Also, because you don't take it seriously, it then becomes even more frightening. Right. I also like that dialogue of that moment between those two. It's so well written in the sense of he gives him grief, like, what? What? But then they're friends and colleagues, and they respect and trust each other, that he that he quickly goes, oh, okay, really? Like, you're actually hearing this. I like that he didn't just completely... That is a really nice middle ground reaction right. to when you often hear like vampires never couldn't possibly exist or it must be vampires. It's hard to find <laughs> either either of those responses seems contrived. Right. And I would give like you guys the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you know, if you said something crazy, I mean, the, oh, come on. And then I'd look at I'd know it from your eyes and go. Okay, so what's happening here? At least yeah. that talk me through this. Right. <laughs> what do you think? Well, you would hearing? know that we we at least believe this is true. It's right. serious to the person, your right. respected coworker. So you you give them a little bit of just, and then you insist they go out right. to drink with you, which I think is a nice <laughs> moment too. Yeah, I love that too. But what was the drink at that uh, buttered rum? Yeah, and yeah. I was like, no, a hot. Hot was it? It was something a hot. A sweet it was drink. a terrible drink. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't bourbon. Yeah, I love that exchange, uh, uh, how it was written and how he reacted to his colleague and friend about him hearing it, this thing singing. Yeah. yeah and just the idea that they're learning the language, too. The singing oh, right? would have been frightening by itself. Right. But when you add that sort of idea of intelligence and getting smarter, mm-hmm. it's learning. Uh, and I mean, again, it just goes from idea to idea. And then when they black out... Mm-hmm. And they don't remember rebuilding this machine. And that that's me. I'm very vulnerable to sort of blacking memory, out lack of memory. Yeah. Or is this a dream? Did it really happen? The the sort of ambiguities of yep. perception really wig me out. Yeah, that's my entire life in college. <laughs> <laughs> well, and last week. <laughs> Back to the beginning, real quick. I just want to get these notes out of my system. Yeah. The the two notes that I, I wrote about the beginning that I loved. Was first he said, he says, "Do you know what teleportation means?" And then he says, "Probably not." And I said, "Yes, I do." <laughs> Wait, what do you mean, probably? Yes, I do. Kinda. And then also, pants. and and this is so. I'm such a Minnesotan, but he mentioned Northern Minnesota, and I had this moment of, "Yay, Minnesota!" <laughs> he said, "Minnesota, yay!" <laughs> but you talk about the opening line, and he always has a great hook like that he actually starts this story with this is a story about the temporal displacement of mass and he's right. brave enough to like people don't go well i'm turning it off <laughs> like, right considering what the story is really about uh it's just a great red herring yeah and, it, and it's a story being told by a scientist so it also has that authenticity that he's, mm-hmm. he's gonna hook you with talking about science <laughs> hey, where's right. everyone going <laughs> But the, the descriptive nature of these narr- narration segments when, when he's describing uh, the lights at the beginning and he takes mm-hmm. his time. I mean, it's almost three and a half or four minutes I almost before wrote, he gets into the story proper. I almost wrote down uh, a note about that, like, okay, you, you want to kick it in here? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, this is 
night i think i wrote nice setup and i erased it because after words <laughs> i went actually that setup was not too long that was actually wonderful to listen to it, it he has a confidence in what he's putting out there like he mm-hmm. can he feels very fine with taking the time to set everything up right yeah and it really sets up at least for me a, a, this sort of alien landscape right here on earth yep and then it matches when he goes to the alien landscape and yeah. tries to describe it and is kind of incapable of it and that horrifying moment when he comes back and uh his buddy norm is beating him and he doesn't know why yeah. and then realizes in that moment that he's covered in uh, the writing of that. <laughs> right. uh, again for my my being vulnerable to like oh they're messing his perceptions unreliable to come out of that and be unclear of oh what's going on we talked uh, not that long ago about waking up with a bat in your face yes <laughs> yes I had a bat on my face <laughs> I was scarred which is it's traumatizing I, I, I don't uh, know how you function <laughs> oh I didn't that night <laughs> that was terrible but he's covered in frozen singing caterpillars <laughs> right like Again, I said you say it like I said it's Douglas Adams really yes. <laughs> <laughs> so long, thanks for all the fish. Yeah. <laughs> right. But in this context, it's so eerie. And then right. he goes, again, goes through so many ideas and then ends this sucker on the fact that the caterpillars steal his voice and speak through him, which is another uh, sci-fi horror trope, mm-hmm. sort of possession mm-hmm. thing. I mean, this thing is so dense with all these frightening ideas. It's almost like, whoa, slow down, Cooper. You're going to run out of ideas. Don't waste it all <laughs> in one episode. And then um, we find out that the caterpillars are the answer to global warming now. Yes. <laughs> if we could just get these guys. <laughs> now we're all saying, hot, so hot. A-E-I-O <laughs> hot. <laughs> well, any other thoughts, notes on this? I, I just love Quiet Please to Death, and yeah. this is a brilliant version. I'm going to listen to more. Version. Yeah. Let's go to the voting uh, on uh, if we think this stands the test of time, if it's still scary by today's standards. Uh, considering you picked it, Joshua, uh, I mean, your answer is probably yes. Oh, yeah. I think this is definitely a classic. It's up there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, this is... It'll be a long, 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 long time before it, this seems like, oh, yeah, the old standard caterpillar freezing the world story. <laughs> <laughs> that old <Yeah>. chestnut. <laughs> Right? Uh, Trotting that out again, are we? I agree. I think it's a timeless classic. Uh, First of all, I was really glad to hear Quiet Please, and I thought it was written and performed excellently. And it it was uh, fraught with possible uh, pitfalls, being that it was a time machine run by Northern Lights where frozen caterpillars <laughs> came back and sang to you. The, that could have failed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I got out of the pitch meeting. Yeah. <laughs> well, if uh, you want to vote, you can go to our website, which is... Ghoulishdelights.com. It's ghoulishdelights.com. There you will see under each episode your opportunity to tell us if you think it's a timeless classic or uh, if it's pretty good with some antiquated moments or if it's of historic note but not necessarily a classic or if it's just awful and we'd love to hear from you please if you disagree with us 
uh, let us know. We're not going to do anything with that information, <laughs> but we're real curious to see if you think uh, what you think of each episode. Also on ghoulishdelights.com, you will see uh, lots of information, not only about uh, that, but about us and our other endeavors. Not only what Tim does with Ghoulish Delights, but we also have some announcements coming up that you can see on the website about... Uh, us doing more recreations live of old-time radio. Uh, me, Joshua, Tim, and uh, Shannon Custer and Joe Wiseman uh, will be performing at the James Hill Library uh, in January and hopefully more of them. Uh, if you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, please come and see us. Uh, in January, we're going to be doing... Uh, the House in Cypress Canyon from Suspense, and also The Gibbering Things from The Shadow. And you can see us perform those live. Come out and judge us. You can actually uh, do that whole voting thing right there. Uh, also, if you go to iTunes... You can write a review, say some nice things about this podcast, encourage other people to listen to it. Next episode right. is mine. I have picked this one out. Uh, it is from the series The Whistler. Uh, they did a number of Christmassy themed episodes, so I picked out a Christmas one. Um, this this episode was our first sort of foray into Christmas themed episodes, light wintry theme. But the next one is called Christmas Bonus, so very solidly Christmas episode. I'm looking forward to it. Until then. <laughs>